my biggest, you know, not fear, my biggest regret or my biggest concern is that I'll in, I'll leave this world someday and my ex-wife still won't have forgiven me. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Well, I am so excited to introduce Jamie Smith. He is the publisher of the Cincinnati Business Courier. And for those of our listeners that are in Cincinnati, I'm sure that you already know Jamie because Jamie has the widest network that I know of, and I've got a pretty good network. <laughs> um, but when I was doing some research on Jamie, one thing that that a friend of yours, actually one of your direct reports said, is that you get asked to go to coffee all the time with people and you never turn anybody down. And what's great is that, you know, 15 years ago, your main probably business contact, like your main clients mm -hmm. are now retiring. But because you have such a good network with those who are the next generation, you're, you, you didn't miss a beat. Right. Because you never said no to them. It's so important not to say no. Yeah. I don't even know how you do it. Do you ever get annoyed about uh, that? No, no, not really. I mean, I always feel like I learn something in every meeting I have with somebody. Yeah. So even though they may have the meetings, you know, strategically for themselves. Yeah. I come out of there going, wow. That, that what if they're me. like, I want to pitch a story to you? What if they're so direct that are like, I want you to put the, how do you respond to that? Uh, I, they typically don't go too direct. Uh, they'll start to talk about it and I'll, I'll very quickly say, here's the process. You know, I'm not the one that's going to make a decision on your story someone else is yes but you know i can help you with your pitch i can help you decide if it's worth you know pitching to us okay so how did you get into journalism did uh, you know you always wanted to do i that? did not i did not i i knew i didn't want to be a farmer that's where i'll start yeah yeah i know <laughs> that this is so cool okay so t talk about that yeah i grew up on a farm a thousand acre dairy farm in central kentucky uh working very hard uh yeah. there's no harder work than a farmer uh, my family had been farmers all of our life uh, my you know my dad my grandparents my uncle we all lived on a thousand acre farm what town was uh, in a little town called Springfield, Kentucky, oh, okay. right in the middle of bourbon country. Okay. But it was before the bourbon bourbon really got big. Bourbon bust, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But so I knew I didn't want to be a farmer. I didn't know what. I knew I needed to go to college to get off the farm. And okay. so once, you know, my mom was in newspaper business, but I didn't really think that's what I wanted to do. What did she do for that? Uh, she, she ran basically a community newspaper in a small town of about 5,000. She was basically the office manager, the advertising salesperson, the, whatever needed to be done. That's what she did. Did she write too? Uh, she did not write. She was the business know, side right. of it. She started out as a typesetter right out of uh, high school. What does that mean? That's uh, when they used to type on a huge typewriter and the film the the type would come out on film and they would have to put it through a dark room and a long long tedious process yeah just to get the ink on the pages okay and um so did she do that all while you were growing up and then yes. your dad my dad was on the farm he farmed now so i i think i told you my husband's grandparents were dairy farmers yes. but his grandfather also had another job he would 
he would drive the school bus. Oh yeah, to, for supplemental income. Did they do anything else, or did um, they just no, do was just the, the farm. farm? You know, with the thousand acre farm and a hundred head of dairy cows and eleven acres of tobacco, and then the corn and the hay and everything you had to do to feed the cows. Yeah, it kept the family all pretty busy. So, how many siblings do you uh, have? I have a brother and a sister from my dad and my mom. Okay, and then my dad remarried later in life, and I have two more sisters from that. So I've got three sisters and a brother. Awesome. And I'm the second of the five of us. And do they all live, still live? Uh, they all live in Springfield with the exception of me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm the only one that got out. <laughs> so do you remember like a defining moment when you were when you realized, I don't want to do this? You know, I think uh, in, in this, the thing that I can remember the most is in 1977, if you remember, there was a blizzard. Yes. And we got out of school for Christmas and whenever in December. We did not go back to school till February. We didn't go to school at all in the whole Why? month of January because of snow, because of the blizzard. Seriously? A bus can't drive if there's any slick, you know, slick It was spots. that long? It was that long. And I remember spending a month on the farm without friends, without any kind of connection. We didn't have the internet back right. then, you know, with three channels on the TV. But most of my time was either in the barn with the cattle or in the barn uh, taking care of tobacco. And I just remember thinking, my life, there, there's more to life than this, yeah. and I'm going to find it. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So I knew so, I wanted to go to college. Yeah. And I went to college, majored in business, didn't know really what that meant. You know, I want to make get a degree in business and get a job. Yeah. And uh, once I got out, I, you know, moved to Cincinnati with my then at that point fiance, almost wife, and started looking for a job and found a job in media. You know, my mom had been in, in the newspaper business. She connected me with a couple of people that I interviewed with, got a job, and, you know, 30-some years later, I'm still in the newspaper business. Which is rare, considering right. it's changed and shifted so right. much. But I do think the business career found a niche Absolutely. that I don't think some other newspapers did. And... Um, and I, I, do you know that Business Courier is the only newspaper that I read? You know, it makes my heart feel so good to hear you say that. But the three big appointments I had today, yeah, the same thing was said by three local presidents of organizations. It's terrible. And now it's sad I will because say, I worked at the Enquirer for eleven years, so I hate to see any of the media because I think there's room for all of us. Yes, I will say that. Just in the last month, I got the Washington Post app on my phone. So I do read that, right. but locally, yes. Yeah. And you know why I got the Washington Post? Because of Rich Bainey's um, interview here. Yeah. Incredible I, interview, by the way. Oh, God, he's so amazing. But he's, I asked him, what newspaper does he read that's the most like unbiased? Mm -hmm. And he said that. Yeah. 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 He's amazing. Okay. All right. So you move here. But let's – so – the real stuff that we wanted to talk about today, because I think your message is going to be amazing. We haven't had this discussion, is the marriage yeah. and what happened there and the shift and the change and then the, the blessings or growth that came after sure, that. Sure, sure. You know, I grew up, as I said, on a farm, Catholic family. Yep. You know, Catholics have a lot of beliefs. You know, my belief, you know, not that I believe, believe that I needed to get out of school, get married, get a wife, have kids. Yeah. But that's the path. Right. You know, that's the path, and that's what I did. I went to college, fell in love with you know my future wife. Um, both of us graduated, moved up here to Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. Uh, within three years, started our family. Yeah. Had a great family. You know, I and thought like, I was living the dream. You did. You were like, "This is it for me." Right. 
Okay. You know, happiest can be, uh, did everything that young parents do. You know, we, uh, you know, I coached baseball, I coached soccer, I coached basketball. I was on site-based counsel at school. You know, I worked, you know, we, we had a great family. Yeah. Uh, um, it all went well. You know, then the kids started to grow up. Yeah. Uh, the first one goes off to college and you, you know, you fall apart. You Your life falls apart because it's such a big part of you. Yeah. Um, the second one left and I have two boys and a girl, you know, so my two boys leave, go to college. I'm left with my daughter who at that point was 15. Okay. And, you know, you're probably aware that 15-year-old daughters probably don't want a lot to don't, do with their dad. Nothing. <laughs> All they want to do is be with their friends. Exactly. So the time that I used to, you know, give to my family was all of a sudden nobody needed anymore. Yeah. You know, and I identified very heavily as a father and as a coach and as whatever. Uh, and I identified very heavy with being, an you know, a, a you know, a media guy. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden I realized there was something missing in the middle. Something's not right here. Um, I knew deep down that I was uh, living kind of a lie. Yeah. You know, that I wasn't, you know, my life had not taken the journey that it needed to take. Uh, you know, you know I, I've said to many people, I don't think anything happens haphazard. You know, I yeah. think everything that happens to you happens for, for a reason. reason. And I think whether it's happiness that turns out of that, whether it's a failure that turns out of that, you learn something from it. Yeah. And you pick up and you so, move on. So during that time, did you, did, did your wife know? Like, did um, she know you were unhappy? You know, or she says she didn't. Like, and, and that's the thing. I don't think I was unhappy per se because life was great. You know, I mean, I had a great job. I was building a great company. Things were going healthy, wonderful. Healthy, happy kids. Absolutely. My kids couldn't have been better. They're all very professional. Uh, all did well in school. They were sports kids. I mean, everything went great. On paper, On paper, everything. Right. But when I would go home at night, you know, I was a big believer in that I would work as hard as I could. But by 5.30 or 6 o'clock, if I didn't have soccer or basketball or an event of hours, yeah. I'm home with my kids. We'd have dinner together. We'd do whatever together. We'd have movie nights. We'd have game nights. And, yeah. you know, my ex-wife was, I always called her a conductor. She was the best mom ever. Yeah. But she was the best mom. I was the best dad. We were two separate best at what Not, we did. It wasn't like but a wasn't husband a re- and exactly. wife never, relationship. Never that relationship. And, you know, in hindsight, I can see that. But in the moment, I don't think I could see that. And I don't think she could see that. Did anybody that like that you had as a trusted advisor? Because men, I, I think for women, it, like girlfriends might see it a little bit more. Yeah. But did you have any men no. friends that, I mean, that saw it or siblings? No. You know, my uh, my family was blown away, you know, when I it was kind of weird, you know, it all came to a head at one point on a Sunday night that, you know, what's going on here? What are we going to do to get us back on track? And did you say that or did she, say she that? said that to me and you know, she said that to me and I I just looked at her and I said, you know, what? I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And she, she's what do you mean you can't do this. And I said, I can't live a lie anymore. And, you know, my mom said to me, and I, I remember this all the time, she's passed away. Uh, she passed away before the divorce. But she always said to me growing up and through life, be true to you, yeah. be true to others, and you'll prosper in whatever you do. And the the scary part of that or the hard part of that is yeah. you, can be, you can't be true to others until you're true to you. Mm-hmm. So I was being true to others because I thought I was being true to me. I thought I was living my life. I thought I was where I was supposed to be, with whom I was supposed to be, doing everything I could do to make it work. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when the kids started to leave, I realized there was too much space there, and I didn't want to do 
what I needed to do to make that space work. And I knew that the marriage wasn't going to make it work. Uh, you know, and I'll never forget, you know, her saying, well, don't you think we owe it to 27 years of marriage? Don't you think we owe it to it our was, three kids yeah. to make this work? We should see, I said, you know, it, it can't. We owed yeah. that to ourselves maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, but in complete honesty, you know, I can't be married anymore. And that was on a Sunday night. And she said, well, then I think you should leave. And I packed my bag, you know, packed a bag of three suits and came down to the Hyatt. And and 24 hours prior to that, you did not I even was, know no, that that was going to. No, six hours before I thought I was, you know, we were a happy family that was going to make this work. And I think in my mind, I had set a, a course that by the time my daughter graduated from high school, yeah. some change had to be made. Yes. But I thought, you know, I've got to do this for my kids. I've got to so, be who they think I am. So, like, you compartmentalized it. Absolutely. All right. So, you leave. I leave. And then what? I leave and, um, you know, wasn't – see, that was on a Sunday. On Wednesday, I drove to Louisville. My son was in med school at Louisville, so yeah. I had to tell my son. I drove from Louisville after a couple hours with him to Lexington. My other son was in school at UK and told him. And that was you know, that was we in the wee hours of Tuesday night. On Wednesday, I met my ex-wife at our at that point home and told my daughter, you know, because she was a high school uh, sophomore, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, the big thing is I just said to you, you know, hey, mom and I are getting a divorce. You know, I need to tell you that. I said, but more than that, I need to be completely honest with you. You know, I am not happy. I haven't been happy, you know, and part of that reason is I'm gay. Yep. Um, you know, and, and they all to this day say they had no clue. My ex-wife says she has no clue. My closest friends. Didn't know. Didn't know. I mean, my closest friend who I work with and I've worked with for 16 years probably knows more about my soul than anybody. Yeah. And. She she will she will relate to you that she was like on a sidewalk that was moving when I was telling her the story, and I had to tell her on the phone because I was heading home to my hometown to tell my siblings. Okay, so now did you realize you were gay because you fell in love with a wonderful human being, <laughs> and that's what helped? Like that was the impetus for it, or because I've talked to different friends and it's different stories here, yeah. or is it something that you always like? I, knew? I think I knew I had an attraction. Yeah. You know, and I, um, you know, I used to blame my mother and my mom and I had the best relationship ever. Yeah. Closest mom ever had, you know, just did anything for me. Uh, but I got her sensitivity, you know, and people, what do they say when you're sensitive? You know, you're a sissy. Yeah. You're, you're gay. You're, you're this, you're that. Yeah. And, and I never, you know, I didn't, I didn't register that as, hey, I'm gay because of this. Right. You know, but oftentimes in a, in a crowd of people, you know, we're talking with, you know, family, you got to. 10 people around and I would find sometimes I would be with the women's circle talking versus being at the men's table playing cards yep. or talking about, you know, whatever, talking right. about honey or talking about, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and I think so many people were surprised. There were a few people that I found out after the fact that weren't super close to me. Yeah. But that knew the situation, you know, knew that the divorce happened, immediately saw I was spending a lot of time with this guy, as you said, that I found that was super special. Yeah. It made me realize there was more to life. And uh, so there were a couple people that came. My sister-in-law, my brother's wife, no said way. to me a week after she found out, she called me to see if I was okay. And uh, she said, well, I just need to let you know I've told your brother, you know, for probably 10 years, the minute Mackenzie graduates, Jamie's going to come out. 
No way. And he's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, we're big old country boys. You don't right, do that. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of is Cam from uh, Modern Family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I yeah. Love that. yeah. So, um, you know, that, that was a lot, you know, throwing it to my, throwing it out to my family. Um, you know, my kids, especially, they were my life. Did you feel like um, a weight was lifted or no? I did. did it take some time? I did. I remember driving across the bridge from, we lived in Fort Thomas. Yeah. I remember driving across Which the bridge. Which is a very tight community, Absolutely. Too. And I remember driving across the bridge thinking, okay, I don't know where I'm going. I have nowhere to go tonight. You know, I don't know. I have no one that knows my situation. You know, I can't just pop in. My family's two hours from yeah. here. All my kids are in different places at this point. And uh, I just remember going to my office. I'm like, I'm going to go sit in my office and figure out what I'm doing. You're kidding me. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm like, what? what? I don't even have a place to stay tonight. You know, I had friends, of course, that I would have put me up. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. not without, why are you here? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I so like I said, do? I stayed at the Hyatt. You stayed at the Hyatt. I stayed right. at the Hyatt for two nights and then stayed with a friend a third night and then found a kind of an Airbnb situation for about two weeks till I found a place. And uh, But I remember driving across that bridge crying. Yeah. Uh, calling, you know, my now partner and talking to him on the phone saying it's over. And he kept thinking I was talking about a football game because it was Sunday night. Oh He's like, it's not over yet. Sunday night football is oh not gosh. over. I'm like, no. And, you know, I'm trying to try not to cry. And um, but I remember feeling like a burden was just off my shoulders. Yeah. And then that that got better and better as I talked to each of my children. And then as I talked to my brother and my sister and, you know, those closest to me, you know, I, I remember coming in like two days after this all happened. I pulled all my managers together and I said, I need to tell you. And I told them everything. You know, I said, I, I can't give you half truths. I love that you did that. And there's going to be probably some people talk. I need you to know the truth. And I mean, Sarah, I'll be people can say what they want about Cincinnati and it's super conservative. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Everybody knows your That business. was going to be my question. I have never... You know, it's now been since 2012. I have had one situation that was a little bit uncomfortable with somebody who said, well, maybe we don't want to do business with him anymore because you heard he came out. And the person that I was doing business, actually doing business with, stopped him and said, are you crazy? Number one, do you know who he is? Right. <laughs> you know, he right. can publish all kinds of things about us. But number two, that doesn't change who he is. I love that. And that's the one you that know, was going to be my question. Because what year was that? This was 2012, September of 2012. Okay. So not that long ago. No, no I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes I feel like it was 20 years ago because, yeah. you know, life is so good. My kids are all good. Uh, you know, and that was, that was a, uh, it was learning as you went along. Yeah. That because was... each one of them handled it very differently. So I'm... I'm really into this theme for 2019 which is lean into discomfort yeah. um, because I think leaning into discomfort brings about so many wonderful things so maybe give an example of that or particular something specific to that where you le- leaned into discomfort and and a really big like fruit of that came sure. about you know I think it's funny because at first it was all very raw and very you don't know how to do things you don't know when you go somewhere and somebody will say how's your wife or where's your wife right or you go somewhere and Jordan's with you and they're like you know you're like oh this is my friend right do you I'm, say my friend well, do you funny. say my I did partner? for the longest time I, I would say my friend and I'll never forget there was a, a, a business leader here in town she i introduced her to jordan i'm like hi you know laura this is jordan and this is my friend jordan 
and actually, I think I said, this is my buddy, Jordan, because guys say buddies, yeah, you know, right, right, this right. is my buddy. Right. And she says, is he your buddy or your partner? And I just, rem- I was so caught off guard that I didn't even have time to lie or even yeah. think of a way to get out of it. I just said, you're right. He's my partner. And she said, don't ever deny it and be proud of it. I love her. And I was just like, Was okay. Jordan there? No, he, he, he was there, but he didn't realize he didn't hear. this was yeah. all going on. And, uh, you know, so over at that moment, it became a lot easier. Yeah. You know, there's still times where I'll be somewhere. And it's funny because uh, Kelly, who works with me, we're together, you know, so often at work events, at yeah. chamber events, at other people's events. You know, and we often refer to each other as our work wife or work husband. And people will, you know, we'll be at a restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm so glad to see you and your wife. And <laughs> Kelly quit. She finally quit saying, I'm not his wife because it's just easier to say, oh, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so the yeah, the question like it's and it's not the question. It's um, it's the definition around right. the relationship, right? right? Absolutely. And I think you know people oftentimes think people are trying to get in your business or trying to use something against you. I think people just don't know. They don't know how to react. Right. You know, and, you know, it's so very common to say to somebody, how's your wife? Or, you know, yes. is, will your wife be joining Do you? you? Know, so, Jamie, you know what I get is, so how are your kids? And I'll say, I don't have any kids, you know. And then they get very awkward and right. uncomfortable. And I'm like, it's okay. I right. chose not to have children. Right. Right. This is a choice versus we were infertile. That was not the case. Right. But people go straight to that assumption a lot. Right. Absolutely. And they, like you said, the awkward part is they don't know what to do then. Right. And then there's this total silence. I know. So I usually I'll crack a joke or say something right. because I'm thinking, you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. Totally. I'll you always know? be like. I love other children, just didn't want my own. And then they'll go go about that. But, yeah, it, I think people are trying to, like, process it or put mm-hmm. it in a bucket. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I remember, you know, shortly after, probably within three months, I started to pull select friends, peers, I remember being at our at a publisher's meeting in our corporate office, and there were probably five different publishers that I felt like were my true peers. Yeah. We would always hang together at meetings. That's who I would call if I had work questions, and we had never talked about it. You know, one of them knew that I wasn't in a good place in my marriage, but not, nothing else. Yeah. And I remember that at that meeting, I'm like, I've got to tell them, tell them all. And yeah. so I just remember one night I pulled them all together. I'm like, all right, I don't know if you guys know, but I've gone through a divorce or I'm going through a divorce. And one of them says, yeah, I know. I see all these pictures of you on Facebook with this beautiful blonde. Is she your, <laughs> is she your new girlfriend? Again. And I'm like, well, no. I said, yeah, she's my girlfriend, but that's not, not the story. So, you know, then I went on and tell them to tell them. Yeah. And, and not that I expected anybody to be negative or nasty or against me. But the support I got from them and everybody in this community has been, it's okay. I know. I, but I also feel like that's also because of your personality. Like you always see the positive in things. And um, I read that Facebook post that you had. And by the way, I never read Facebook. And for some reason, this came up on my feed. That things happen for a reason, that right? things happen <laughs> for a reason. And I thought that that... I, I want you to share that story, sure. too, because you modeled for me something that not everybody would be able to model. That's number one, which is what I was saying about, you know, you coming out. And I want to know two questions. I want you to share that story. I have so many <laughs> questions. And then the other thing is, have you felt called to be like the voice for that, to kind of stand up and be a good role model? Yeah. So 
Okay. Yeah. Um, I just asked you a lot. That was yeah, I was going to say, you want to go with the story first or you want to go with the role model terrible first? terrible interviewing. <laughs> Whatever you think. Uh, as far as the role model, I, I do feel um, at times I do want to do that. Yeah. And, and whether it be gay straight, whether it be, you know, childrenless parents, whether it be people that have something that is against the norm. Yes. That it's, what is the norm? Yeah. You know, there is no norm. I kind of like being countercultural around that. You know, <laughs> right. like I do. Right. I'm, I'm a little proud of it. Yeah. But I just think, you know, I, I just use that line again, back to my mom, you know, be true to you. Yeah. Because if I'm not being true to me, there's no way I can be true to anybody else in this community. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, you know, I, my biggest, you know, not fear. My biggest regret or my biggest concern is that I'll in I'll leave this world someday, and my ex wife still won't have forgiven me, or we won't have gotten to a place has where we can be in a, no, no, we can't be in a room together. Yeah. You know, which is hard for kids, and yeah. and I can totally understand. Yes. You know, I, I in her eyes, I made her live a twenty seven year old lie, a twenty seven year lie. Yeah. And that's my one fear in life that I can't change that. Yeah. You know, I'd like to fix that because, you know, my kids are such a part of my life. My kids are such a part of her life. And it just makes everything easier if, if we could all get together and, yeah. and be ourselves. But so I tell people that all the time, be you, you know, because if you're not yeah. being you, you're not going to do well at your job. You know, it's going to go up and down maybe. But So um, I, I'm i in a 12-step program and one of the steps is around amends mm-hmm. and – you know, because when you've got some sort of addiction, you're going to make mistakes. And I know that's not in the case of you, but here's the tie. Um, you know, we can make mistakes and we can make amends, um, but it's really the living amends that we can make with them. So, right. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that that's hard. Thankfully, I didn't have have to make a ton of living, amen, ton of amends. Right. But, you know, I think the other thing that I've learned is, and if you're a spiritual person or not, you know, we can pray for them and yeah. hope that th- that she gets there. Right. Um, but you've done all that you can do, and you you have to be okay with that. Right. I think in the end, and I, and I use my kids all the time kind of as a measuring stick. You know, if you think I'm being a good dad, yeah. if you think I'm being a good citizen and the best yeah. I can be. That's a living amends. Yeah. You know, then that's all I can do. Right. You know, at some point it may change. You know, a lot of her family, you know, that's the worst thing about a divorce, you know, you love their family, or at least I did. Yeah. You know, and she was from a big family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt like I, you know, she was a Fort Thomas Campbell County girl. So I feel like I divorced Campbell County in Northern Kentucky. You know, I always kind of joke that I, she got Fort Thomas in the divorce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, those are things that are hard to deal with. But like you say, you move on because you can't change others. And, you you know, you know that her family needs to be there for her. So let them be there for her. And then at some point, you know, maybe things will change. Yeah, exactly. So uh, back to the to the story. Yeah, Uh, I was walking home or I was walking back to the office one night after an event. Um, You know, we had an awards event and I was walking back literally two blocks from my office in a very busy part of downtown. And I heard like. So it was busy. It wasn't like. Yeah. yeah, It was was still probably eight, eight o'clock, maybe seven thirty. It was dark. It was was snowing, kind of a mixed snow and rain. And as I came out of the PNC building and headed toward our office, uh, which is two blocks away, a block away. Um, I'm walking under the bus stop there, kind of across from the transportation center because it was snowing. I kind of ducked under so I wouldn't get wet. And there was a, a guy there that was screaming. And when I first walked out of the building, I heard him. You know, I could hear him screaming something. 
but it was to me, it was like, okay, there's somebody on the street corner preaching or, you know, talking something I, it, I didn't scare me, didn't worry me. Yeah. So I walked right past him. And I don't know if because I ducked in, I got into his space, but he decided to come at me and immediately started to yell some racial slurs at me. And then within a matter of probably 30 seconds through two punches, uh, was getting ready to throw the third when I kind of caught his arm and pushed him back. And I was in a crowd of probably 15 people, yeah. you know, that were waiting for a bus because it was a bus stop. Yeah. And nobody came to my aid. Nobody came to his support. Nobody helped him. Nobody helped him berate me. You know, it was, it was all racial. Um, I don't think the guy physically wanted to harm me because he could have hit me or could have gone to my face or whatever. Yeah, I was wondering, did he, he get you, just, did he hit your face? He, no, he hit my chest and my arm. And then the third time, it was kind of going toward my toward my face. And that's when I caught him. But Because um, you're a tall guy. Like, yeah. You know, I mean. I mean, I don't, I'm glad you said I'm a tall guy. Not many people have told me I'm a tall guy. I'm a big guy. Well, but um, okay, you, you <laughs> seem tall for me because, but I'm also very short. But I I do think of you as a tall guy. Okay, yeah. keep going. So you know, so he's yelling profanities at me. He's calling me the devil, the white devil. I'm in a black heaven, and again, just a lot of racial things. And I, you know, they say your adrenaline picks up. You yeah. don't get scared, and I wasn't scared. You know, I didn't go at him in a physical way to hurt him either. I just kind of pushed him aside, you him. and I kept walking. No one did a thing. You know, and, and again, not that. They saw me as helpless, but nobody, I think it was because we were at a bus stop and, you know, most people were ready to get on the bus. I was a, I was a minority for the moment. I was probably one of two white people in this crowd. Yeah. And I remember walking and I got to the Mercantile Center and I saw a security guard and I asked him if the police were around. And he said, well, there should be one back there. I'm like, there's not. So I told him what happened. And at that point, I just went to the Weston, got in my car. Set my car. And once I got in the car, the adrenaline must have yeah, went away. Right. Because then I got scared. Then yeah. I, I got a little like, oh, my God. Shaky What just bit. happened? You know, why did he do that to me? You know, I didn't do anything to him. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, calling Jordan and telling him. And I was pretty shook up at that point. And he's like, well, go to the police station. I'm like, no, there's nothing to be done now. You know, he didn't physically hurt me. So I drove home. And I, I remember sitting on the couch just kind of pondering for like a half an hour. Like, what? trying to process what just happened, why it mm -hmm. happened, what could I do about it? And I just, you know, I'm a big Facebooker. I, I love following people and I love being a part of this community. And I use Facebook to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought I'm going to kind of spill my guts of what just happened and how I felt. And I, you know, I think I said things like, you know, I'm disappointed in this city. You know, number one, that things like this happen. Mm -hmm. Number two, that we can't fix it. And, um, I said, for the first time ever, I truly felt like a minority. Yeah. And I, and I even, I think, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I said, this is not a racial issue. You know, I'm not, you know, I could react to this and blame everything yes. on that now, but I'm yes. not, you know, it's not going to change the way I feel. That's what I loved about the post is that somebody could have brought up the whole racial right. card thing and you didn't do it. Right. It was human being to human being. Exactly. I mean, it could have been a, a white woman that did this to me, and it would have been the same thing, you know? I mean, yeah. it's about, you know, he was in a bad sp space. Do you think he was, was mentally somebody, ill, That's too. what I, most people have said, and when I did talk to the police the next day, you know, they were, I was describing the, the person the best I could in the dark, in a snowy, rainy night. Yeah. And they said, you know, we've got a couple suspects that most likely are mental, you know, mental subjects that we've picked up before yeah. in similar situations. But, you know, if you want to press charges, if we find him... But, you know, 
unfortunately. I don't know. I kind of say fortunately, they couldn't tell anything from the cameras that they have on the transportation center yeah. because they were roving that night. Um, but like I said, you know, I learned something from it. Yeah. So what was your learning? I, I think it's just put yourself in other people's positions. You know, I mean, even though I grew up very poor on a farm, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life now You've where I, now. I, I have. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like it's something that I've earned. But I also realize there are people that can't earn that. They're not in a position to earn what I have earned. Mm -hmm. And whether that be things that I fought for or, or worked for or whether it be because people gave me a chance. Yeah. Somebody hasn't given him the chance he needs or for whatever reason. You know, and, and I use that now when I want to. If I hear somebody cutting somebody down or talking about somebody, I kind of go back to that night thinking of how I felt being singled out and being considered bad and negative. And, and I use that to say, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, they always say you don't know what's going on in someone's life unless you're right. in it. And even then, you don't know it. Walk a mile in their shoes. <laughs> right. I, so I loved that, that story. And to tie it back to, I just think your whole um, – mindset around coming out around breaking up your marriage or maybe that's the wrong word right just what ending it is what i say ending right. was that me did, did no, that no. offend you by breaking no not up? at all not okay. at all um is that <laughs> you always see a silver lining <laughs> i try to you do you're so I resilient mean, and that's what this podcast is about <laughs> people that can see the silver lining and who are resilient right. okay so here's another question for you do you think you have that resiliency because uh, you were born with it or because of where you grew up and you were you had that? It wasn't easy. Working on a right. farm is not easy. Right. I think part of it you're born with. You know, I'm a big believer in the Enneagram and what, yeah. what you are. What, you know, what I'm number a nine. are you? I'm a nine. I'm I want to make everybody happy. Okay. You know, I want to make everyone happy. I don't yeah. want any conflict. So if I can do something, oh. then I'm going to fix it, you know, which is not always a good thing. But I, I'm working through that. I'm learning yeah. that. Um, I use it every day of my life on work and home. But I think a lot of it was my upbringing in that I was taught to respect. I was taught that you can change things. You know, my mom was a firm believer. And if you don't want to be a farmer, then figure out how to go to college. Yeah. You know, we don't have the money to send you, but you can figure it out. And uh, as I said, my mom passed away in uh, 2003. I had just started working at The Courier. And she went to sleep one night and just didn't wake up. Not mm -hmm. an illness, just didn't didn't wake up. And uh, I I've often thought, what does mom think now? You know, yeah. after everything that's happened. And and again, going back to my sister in law, she says she's very proud of you. Yeah. You know, she says she knows the true you now. And and back to her saying, be you, be you know, be true to you, be true to others. I think she now knows I am, and that makes everybody happy. I think. Yeah. You know, you know, my family, you know, back in Kentucky, I remember being scared to death to tell my brother. Like, I wasn't scared to tell my sister, um, but a brother, a country boy, I'm like, you know, oh, my God, he's going to disown me. He's going to tell me to get out. And he was more supportive than anybody I could imagine. Really? And they love Jordan. You know, my family loves him. He loves them. Total different world. But, you know, it's it's worked out so positively. Um, is your dad still living? My dad is still living. Okay. And he's a part of my life. You know, I spent Christmas at, uh, with him and my two sisters from the second marriage and okay. his wife. Okay. Um, it is a little unique relationship there because when he remarried, they, uh, their religion is very against 
Got it. Uh, you know, the whole gay lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, so he, but he's been very good. He says, I'll support you regardless. I just need you to know I don't think that's right. Yeah. You know, but at least he says, I support you. So how did you reconcile the religious upbringing and then, and, and then falling in love with Jordan and yeah. deciding to be with him? I think it's just seeing how so much of my religious beliefs and I'm still very religious still like to go to church yeah you know I still believe you know there's a there's a uh, somebody up there taking care of me but so many of the things that the church preaches I see have gone awry and I'm thinking okay I'm living my life for them but yet right they're not helping me right totally <laughs> you know they're not coming to me and saying you know they'll saying let's pray this away for you yeah. you know they're not saying accept it and move on yeah. i think that's even changing though you know i think it's i do you know, think we live in a different world i do think it's really changing and then the the thought that i had when you were talking about your mom so my mom was very religious i don't really practice mm-hmm. catholicism like i used to i love the faith there are great things about it right. things that i don't agree <laughs> with um but I often wonder if she would be disappointed that I'm not going to church every Sunday. And then I think that this is just my belief that when she was living, those were beliefs that she had to live her world right. and to make to make decisions and right. to live. But I don't think that that's how it right. is in a in an afterlife. Yeah. I don't think that they need to create systems and processes and all that kind of right. stuff, you know? Right. You know, it's, it, everything comes around and, and I think things have weird ways of working out, but my dad and mom were married for 27 years. I was married for 27 years. Really? You know, my dad left my mom, you know, for his future wife, who he now has, you know, two kids with. Right. So, you know, things happen really weird. And like my mom, you know, who was a firm believer of the Catholic church, you know, she, after the divorce and after she fell in love with her future husband, yes. you know, which was like probably three or four years after the divorce, got an annulment. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm like, how can you get an annulment? Isn't an annulment saying this marriage, this never happened? You have three kids. Right. So what am I now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think my mom would look at my situation kind of the same the way same and way. say, you know what? Totally. You've got to do, again, be true to you. Yeah. And you can't be true to you if you're doing something for the church. And with regards to your dad, I'm sure because he can see how happy you are and what a good human being you are, I'm sure that makes him be understanding yeah. a little bit more, yeah. I would think. I think so. And I think, again, you know, every generation's different. Yeah. I mean, my kids, my kids' friends they thought it was cool. Right. It doesn't even, it's like not a thing. Yeah. It's a not, it's I not a thing. I remember talking to one of my daughter's friend's mom saying, hey, I know Mackenzie's going to need some friends right now. I'm not sure what you've heard. She's like, Jamie, you know, you know, Barb, my ex-wife has told me everything. You know, we're not taking sides. In fact, Carolyn thinks it's really cool, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you're, you're in this situation and she just loves you. And so this just makes it even better. Yeah. You know, so everybody's been great. And, you know, the kids are a big part of my life, which is, that was the part you know, that I was the most worried about. Yeah. You know, that was the part. So um, to wrap it up, I want you to share what were like the two or three greatest gifts that you got from that? I think just learning what love really is. What is love? I, I mean, I think being totally content. You know, it's not saying it's perfect. It's not saying you're happy 100% of the time. Right. But you know, deep in inside, when I'm having a fight now, it's a fight over something material. Yeah. 
at the end of that fight, I'm back to who I am and he's back to who he is. I've never had that before. I always felt kind of inferior to that. It was all more about, well, I've got to do whatever it is that's going to make her happy or make them happy. And for the first time, I was able to say, you know what? I need to be happy. You know, I was put on here on this earth to do some things, but I was put on this earth to be happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the probably the one thing I learned from it. And, and whether it's at work or whether it's with my kids, I mean, I tell my kids all the time, you know, live every day like it's your last. Yeah. Uh, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, in, in the world of natural disasters and cars and planes and you don't know, you know, when you see your brother, say goodbye and say you love him, you mm-hmm. know, don't, don't just leave. <laughs> say, I'll see you in a month. Right. Because you may not. Yeah. You know, and I think, I, I, I think that makes me cherish the little things, you know, you know, Christmas, you know, Christmas gifts are great and all that, but just having, you know, I spent three days with my kids down in my dad's uh, and my sister's. And just having that drive time down and just sitting around the house with nothing to do and no work to worry about and no school to worry about. You could just really, you know, catch up and and be us. And, you know, I think, you know, as you said, I've got three kids that have been super successful. So I know that what my ex and I did for them was Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. We gave them the, you know, the 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 tools and the the love that they needed. You know, and that was my biggest fear of leaving is my daughter was 15. She's probably at the most fragile phase of her life. And I'm going to hit her with, not only am I leaving your mom, I'm gay. Yeah. And I remember saying to her, you know, so clearly, Mackenzie, I'm so sorry. And she's like, well, I just, I want to see you. And I'm like, you'll see me. I'll be a big part of your life. Oh, I want to see you. You know, don't worry about that. And, And I said, I just need you to understand and i know that you're not real gay friendly and she's like why would you say that (laughs) you know that's the impression you gave me she's like oh my god no and and they've all said i want you to be happy you know they want me to respect their mom which i've had to build that in um but we want you happy and and now again now that they're all part of my life and a part of jordan's life they accept him you know uh, jordan and i flew to alaska to visit my oldest son he lives in alaska with my two grandchildren and we spent you have 11 days, you know, in Fairbanks, Alaska with three feet of snow. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time, yeah. you know, and uh, my daughter comes over, hangs with him. You know, a lot of times they have more in common than, you know, than I do. You know, my work life is so different, you know, and they're, you know, they're young. They have the same taste in music and it's just kind of <laughs> so fun, you <cute>. know. <laughs> so that I think I learned that, you know. The importance of love. Right. And the importance of living every day like right. it's your last. Right. No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> no regrets, right? <laughs> I think that's perfect. Yeah. I think that's probably our wrap. Okay. What do you think? Anything uh, that you feel like we missed? I think I think we're good. I mean, I just think uh, be true, be authentic. And it may not be the cool thing at that time. It may not make you feel like it's the right thing. Yeah. But in the end, it will be. But it's the brave thing. Right. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes. Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 